Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better-than-okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to talk about the contagious effects of trauma and how to make peace with the harm you have done to others. One of the most difficult aspects of healing is to look back and see how you've mistreated others when you weren't at your best. I have yet to meet a person who has gone through their healing or who is in the process of healing, who hasn't expressed some regret about how they've treated themselves or other people, and how much time and forgiveness it took to heal those wounds. In my case... I lied to people, I said mean things to people, I tried to be very controlling of people or make demands of people, and the one sticking point that I'm still working through is my tendency to criticize, which is absolutely the result of my trauma. When it came to lying to people, why did I feel like I needed to lie to people when I was in my 20s, early 30s, in order to navigate certain social situations? Well, the truth is that I didn't think people would like me for who I really was, that I couldn't be honest because being honest might mean that they reacted badly or they retaliated in some way. Because my father in particular had trained me that honesty was dangerous, that maybe it would provoke his anger or a negative response, it didn't feel safe to always tell people the truth. And sometimes it just feels easier to lie to people to avoid those negative outcomes. And then saying mean things to people was my attempt to protect myself because I didn't know how to set boundaries, because I didn't know how to ask for what I needed. It was easier to just push people away by saying the unkind thing or to lash out and retaliate because they had touched one of my wounds. And then controlling and making demands was definitely something my father had modeled for me for many years, that the only way to be successful in your environment, to succeed in navigating your own space, was to have complete domineering control of everyone around you. And we both know that that is not the actual way to best live your life. But when I was just starting out my healing journey, and let's be honest, a long time into the healing journey for many years this went on i still tried to control the people around me to keep them from hurting me to keep from enduring outcomes that weren't favorable to me to mitigate my fears my pain it was just easier to create a very small narrow space for myself and other people to exist in even though that is not the healthiest way to live a life and then the criticism The criticism has been hard for me because I attached to it for the longest time. A tendency to be unhappy with my environment or with who I am or with how things are was a great energy source, was a great fuel source for propelling me to do better, for propelling me to work on myself, to improve my situation. 
And so I needed that fuel, especially in the beginning, to give myself the motivation to make the changes that would help me move from a toxic, dangerous situation into a more loving, nurturing one that I get to experience now. The only problem is that displeasure, that criticism, that restlessness and unhappiness, those can easily develop into habits. And where it's very easy for me to find fault in myself and others if I'm not careful, if I'm not grateful and grounded and appreciative of the moment as it is. And for the most part, I've eliminated the criticism against myself and others, but there's one subtle sticking point that I still struggle with to this day, and that has to do with my wife and her messiness. (laughs) And you might think it's very innocuous to be unhappy with your spouse's, your partner's messiness, but let me tell you how my trauma has been contagious, how it's contaminated our relationship. The truth is that my fear of mess My criticism of her mess is based in my trauma, and that my tendency to repeatedly criticize her for her messiness has caused her to contract the effects of my trauma. So it's contagious. My trauma has become contagious in our relationship, even for this seemingly minor point of disagreement. So let me explain what I mean. One of these criticism cycles might look something like this. I actually have a good example, fresh in my mind, because it's just happened, of this criticism cycle. So we recently inherited a great deal of furniture from Kim's aunt and uncle, my aunt and uncle too now by marriage, because they were consolidating their two houses into one. They had bought a house in Florida and had been going back and forth for many years. And now they wanted to live in their retirement house full time, which means that they got rid of the house they owned for 27 years in Ohio. So lots of stuff, lots of furniture, a lot of really nice things like a snowblower that I'm looking forward to using in December here in Michigan were handed down to us as the result of this move. The only problem is I'm easily overwhelmed by stuff. I begin to panic when my environment is too messy. And this is unfortunate because I think my wife is the personification of chaos. Now, don't get me wrong, she is not a dirty person. She actually cleans all the time. But I don't know if you've ever really given your room a deep clean and about halfway through, your room looks way messier than when you started because you've pulled everything out and you're moving everything around. That's kind of Kim's style for everything. So she's cleaning, but sometimes things just get really spaced out. There's just a lot of items, a lot of space is being taken up, and it's just very overwhelming for someone who is sensitive to disruptions in their environment, aka me. That's me. I am sensitive to disruptions in my environment. And so I'll feel my anxiety rising. I'll feel the panic coming, and I'll try to say something, but not say something. And it always devolves into me criticizing her for being messy. And the only problem with that is my criticisms build up over time. You know, we've been together for 12 years now. So she's listened to me criticize her just trying to live for 12 years. So at this point, it can really hurt her feelings if I say something about her being messy. It can definitely sound like I'm not appreciating her efforts to clean or to have new stuff for us. And I know why I feel compelled to make these criticisms, because it was a behavior that was modeled for me. It's something I learned early on from childhood, which is that you can control and manipulate others by criticizing them. 
because that's exactly what my father did to me for all those years. But the problem is it really hurts people when you criticize them. What they hear is you don't appreciate them, that you don't like them, that you don't like the situation, that you want them or the situation to be different. It's very hurtful. And so I could see Kim reacting in some of the ways that I had reacted to criticism as a child. And even though my comments may not have been blunt attacks, the way my father used to speak to me wasn't emotionally abusive or mentally abusive, it was still hurtful. And so in that sense, the effects of my trauma were contagious. She was feeling the effects of the way that I had been raised and treated. And now we're going to have to work through dissolving those bad feelings that she has caught secondhand from me. And none of that is pretty to look at, and it's certainly not something I am proud of. But at least I can look at the situation compassionately and understand why I do what I do, why I say what I say, and to make a commitment to try to not let my fears, my panic, my pain spill out onto the people that I love. And maybe you have experienced something similarly where you catch yourself doing something because of the result of how you were trained, how you were taught your own traumatic experiences. You speak from a place of fear and overwhelm rather than from love and compassion. And it's habitual. So even if you know that you don't want to do that or to say those things, that's different than actually being able to stop yourself because there are levels of awareness there are hurt people who don't know that they're hurting people. They're lashing out or they're getting angry or they're inflicting pain without any awareness that the other people might be feeling the effects of those interactions. There are hurt people who know that they're hurting people but yet can't stop. So that was definitely a whole section of my early trauma healing years in which I knew that X, Y, or Z was bad for me, was bad for other people. But they were just so habitual, so compulsive, that I couldn't stop myself immediately from saying the thing or telling the lie or criticizing or whatever it was. And then a little further down the path, you have hurt people who know that they're hurting other people and who can sometimes stop themselves from committing the action, but it's not consistent. And all of that happens before the final stage where you're finally healed enough that you rarely inflict pain on other people because you're able to sit with your own worries, with your own concerns, and you have a pretty good understanding that if we do make a mistake, we have the emotional intelligence and compassionate capacity to make amends or adjustments to the relationship or the environment. But that's a pretty big scale, you know, starting from a hurt person who hurts people unknowingly to someone who realizes when you've made a mistake and to make honest amends for those. It takes a long time to cross that distance and to raise your level of awareness, basically because each of these steps reflect how much awareness you have over yourself and your actions. And there are two things that can raise your awareness. One is to suffer through your detox period, <laughs> and the other is to embrace your karma. And I'll explain what I mean by both of those. So the detox period is where you know what you say or do might hurt someone, and yet you can't stop yourself necessarily, but you want to. Your desire to change your patterns, to improve your relationships, to heal yourself, it's high. You're committed. And what it comes down to is you just practicing again and again from not doing the thing. In Buddhism, they call it refraining. Can you refrain from telling the lie? 
Can you refrain from criticizing someone? Can you refrain from trying to control them or to get the situation under control the way you would like? In my case, can I refrain from criticizing my wife for being messy, for using every single kitchen utensil in the house when she wants to make a meal, for example? Can I not say something about that when I walk into the kitchen and my anxiety goes through the roof about the kitchen that's absolutely trashed? Can I not say the thing? That's the first part of the detoxing period, is practicing that muscle, the refraining muscle, conditioning myself to not say something. And it's hard when we try to detox. A lot of things will come up. It will feel like a struggle. For example, let's stay with my wife using every kitchen utensil while making a meal. If I walk into the kitchen and I see the mess and I'm blessed enough to realize, okay, this is a trigger for me, I can already feel my anxiety rising, but I'm not going to say the mean thing, I'm not going to lash out, I'm not going to try to make her feel bad for making herself a meal the best way she knows how, but that might amplify my anxiety, it might amplify my mental anguish because I'm going to be up against those emotions of anxiety of, no, I have to say this thing. Oh my God, if I don't say it, she's just going to keep doing it. Or, oh my gosh, if I don't, I will just be spending the rest of my life (laughs) with dirty kitchens and messy houses. And, oh my gosh, I don't think I can live like that. You know, not letting my mind grab the steering wheel and drive me off the road into the panic mountains or whatever landscape feature you would like to use for that but not letting my emotions and my mental anguish take control is really hard when you're in this detox period. When you're trying to break your patterns, you're basically pushing this boulder uphill trying not to do the thing you've always done. And that feels very unnatural and emotions will be high. But as long as you continue to practice that refraining muscle and absolutely forgive yourself when you mess up and you say the thing or do the thing anyway because you could not hold yourself back, because that still happens. Sometimes I'm already like, look at this mess (laughs) before I've even thought about it. You know, my mouth is faster than my brain. And that's true for a lot of us. So going through the detox period helps to raise my awareness. Committing to refraining from my habits as much as I can is also part of the detox period. And just being prepared for that intensification of my emotions or my reactivity as a result of my detox and just knowing that that's normal. That when we try to change things, sometimes the mind rebels, the emotions push back, but that they will get weaker the more that I develop that muscle of refrain. And then the second part is about dealing with the karma. And there's some confusion around the word karma. Some people, when they hear the word karma, they think, oh, you get what you deserve, what goes around comes around. But in Buddhism, which is the context in which I think of karma because that's where I hear about it the most, karma is closer to the idea of whatever you do has a reaction. If you splash water on your face, it will be wet. It can be that simple. It's the result of whatever you've done. So in my case, I've accumulated some karma of 12 years of criticizing my wife and her messiness. The karma of that criticism is that she's going to be sensitive She's going to be reactive if I go to say anything about her projects or her cooking skills or her tidiness. She's going to feel raw and sensitive and put out to that because she's been listening to that for 12 years. It has negatively affected our relationship. And so that's my karma. I have eroded that trust in those situations and I will have to deal with that. I will have to give her the time and space and love to heal that aspect of our relationship. And I'll have to be really patient 
because I brought that on myself because I was unable to, at the time, do any better than I was doing. And I don't want to blame myself. We should never blame ourselves if we can help it, that we hurt other people out of trauma. It's just simply the result of what happens. It's just the karma. Just treat it like it is very plainly. This is the result of that. There's no need to blame, no need to punish, no need to reject or think poorly of yourself. It's just what happened. Be forgiving of yourself, but also take responsibility for what happened when you need to. Like It's my responsibility to make space for healing this rift because of the things I've said or done. And expect for this to take some time. Pema Chodron tells a story about a woman who had committed to no longer being an angry person. She had been a very angry, explosive person for many years. So in all of her relationships, people expected her to react poorly, to fly off the handle, to be very reactive in certain situations. And so she went about taking care of her anger to lessen the anger. She refrained from being angry. She was able to get through that detox period until she had completely changed and she was not this angry person anymore. But it took about 10 years for the people around her to stop seeing her as the angry person they had always known. And that's going to be true. You know, I'm going to completely stop criticizing Kim. At some point, it will be completely gone. And then it's going to take many years, probably, for her to not tense up when I walk into the kitchen when she's cooking, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, is she going to complain about all these dishes? That's something that we're going to have to keep working on. And it's just my job in accepting my karma to make space for that, to accept that is going to be the situation. So as I move up through these levels of awareness, as I move closer and closer to my healing, as I'm causing less and less harm, not everyone around me is going to be recognizing that as quickly or slowly as I am. So the best way to deal with that gap of where you actually are and how people around you see you, there are two things that you can do. One is to be like a log, is how I've heard it. Be like a log, which just means that you don't react to their reactions. (laughs) Let's take the example of the woman who was really angry and struggled with her anger for many years and everyone viewed her as an angry person. She's on year five and she comes in to talk to someone and they expect her to yell at them. If she sees them tense up, don't be like, I'm not going to be angry at you. (laughs) You know, which is going to make the situation worse. Like don't demand that people um, meet you where you are to speed up and catch up to where you actually, haven't you seen that I haven't yelled at you for years? (laughs) You know, that's not probably the best way to help things along. So instead, just be like a log. Just do not react to whatever they're doing. Just be kind of curious about it. Make space for it. Observe it. See what's going on. But you continue to rest in your refraining in the detox period in acceptance of your karma, of what's happened. And just expect them to be reactive and to treat you like you haven't changed and to have a plan for that. So what is your plan if people don't immediately acknowledge how hard you've worked to not be that angry or depressed or anxious or insert whatever struggle you're having. Critical, in my case, not to be such a critical person. What are you going to do if they don't acknowledge you and your hard work? If Kim doesn't come in and say, gosh, you know, you really haven't criticized any of my mess in a long time. If that conversation never happens, what is my plan? How am I going to self-soothe and validate myself regardless of what she does or doesn't say to me. So that's something to keep in mind. And so anyway, that's the end of today's episode. As always, I hope you found something useful in our short time together. 
I hope that you continue to commit to your healing journey, that you don't beat yourself up if you've made mistakes or if other people have reacted poorly to you during your healing journey. Just be patient. Don't give up on yourself or give up on other people. Go through that detox period. Keep practicing your refraining. And I'm absolutely sure that one day you will get there. And also rest assured that I will be back next week with another episode of A Well-Cared-For Human. And until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Marie. If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.